0: this is section ninety three of mark twain this librivox recording is in the public domain mark twain a biography volume one part two eighteen sixty six to eighteen seventy five chapter ninety three the real colonel sellers golden days there are bound to be vexations flies in the ointment as we say it was warner who conferred the name of eschel sellers on the chief figure of the collaborated novel warner had known it as the name of an obscure person or perhaps he had only heard of it at all events it seemed a good one for the character and had been adopted but behold the book had been issued but a little while when there rose out of the vasty deeps a genuine eschel sellers who was a very respectable person he was a stout prosperous-looking man, gray and about fifty-five years old. He came into the American Publishing Company offices and asked permission to look at the book. Mr. Bliss was out at the moment, but presently arrived. The visitor rose and introduced himself. "'My name is Eschel Sellers,' he said. "'You have used it in one of your publications. It has brought upon me a lot of ridicule.' My people wish me to sue you for $10,000 damages. He had documents to prove his identity, and there was only one thing to be done. He must be satisfied. Bliss agreed to recall as many of the offending volumes as possible and change the name on the plates. He contacted the authors, and the name Beriah was substituted for the offending Eschel it turned out that the real Sellers family was a large one, and that the given name Eschel was not uncommon in its several branches. This particular Eschel Sellers, curiously enough, was an inventor and a promoter, though of a much more substantial sort than his fiction namesake. He was also a painter of considerable merit, a writer, and an antiquarian. He was said to have been a grandson of the famous painter Rembrandt Peel clemens vowed that he would not lecture in america that winter the irrepressible redpath besieged him as usual and at the end of january clemens telegraphed him as he thought finally following it with a letter of explanation he added i said to her there isn't money enough in america to hire me to leave you for one day but Redpath was a persistent devil. He used arguments and held out inducements which even Mrs. Clemens thought should not be resisted, and Clemens yielded from time to time, and gave a lecture here and there during February. Finally, on the 3rd of March, 1879, he telegraphed his tormentor, "'Why don't you congratulate me? I never expect to stand on a lecture platform again,' after thursday night howells tells delightfully of a visit which he and aldrich paid to hartford just at this period aldrich went to visit clemens and howells to visit charles dudley warner clemens coming as far as springfield to welcome them in the good fellowship of that cordial neighborhood we had two such days as the aging sun no longer shines on in his round there was constant running in and out of friendly houses where the living hosts and guests called one another by their christian names or nicknames and no such vain ceremony as knocking or ringing at doors clemens was then building the stately mansion in which he satisfied his love of magnificence as if it had been another sealskin coat and he was at the crest of the prosperity which enabled him to humor every whim or extravagance. Howells tells how Clemens dilated on the advantages of subscription sale over the usual methods of publication, and urged the two Boston authors to prepare something which canvassers could handle. Why, any other means of bringing out a book is privately printing it he declared, and added that his subscription books in Bliss's hands sold right along, just like the Bible. On the way back to Boston, Howells and Aldridge planned a subscription book which would sell straight along like the Bible. It was to be called Twelve Memorable Murders. They had dreamed two or three fortunes by the time they had reached Boston, but the project ended there. We never killed a single soul, Howells said once to the writer of this memoir. Clemens was always urging Howells to visit him after that. He offered all sorts of inducements. You will find us the most reasonable people in the world. We had thought of precipitating upon you. George Warner and his wife one day, Twitchell and his jewel of a wife another day and charles perkins and wife another only those simply members of our family they are but i'll close the door against them all which will fix all of the lot except twichell who will no more hesitate to climb in the back window than nothing. And you shall go to bed when you please, get up when you please, talk when you please, read when you please." A little later he was urging Howells or Aldridge, or both of them, to come to Hartford to live. Mr. Hall, who lives in the house next... To Mrs. Stowe's, just where we drive in to go to our new house, will sell for sixteen thousand or seventeen thousand. You can do your work just as well here as in Cambridge, can't you? Come, will one of you boys buy that house? Now say yes certainly those were golden, blessed days, and perhaps, as Howells said, the sun does not shine on their like any more, not in Hartford, at least, for the old group that made them no longer assembles there. Hartford about this time became a sort of shrine for all literary visitors, and for other notables as well, whether of America or from overseas. It was the halfway place between Boston and New York— and pilgrims going in either direction rested there it is said that travelers arriving in america were apt to remember two things they wished to see niagara falls and mark twain but the falls had no such recent advertising advantage as that spectacular success in london visitors were apt to begin in hartford howells went with considerable frequency after that or rather with regularity twice a year, or oftener, and his coming was always hailed with great rejoicing. They visited and ate around at one place and another among that pleasant circle of friends, but they were happiest afterward together, Clemens smoking continually, soothing his tense nerves with a mild hot scotch, says Howells, while we both talked and talked and tasked of everything in the heavens and on the earth and the waters under the earth after two days of this talk i would come away hollow realizing myself best in the image of one of those locust shells which you find sticking to the bark of trees at the end of summer sometimes clemens told the story of his early life the inexhaustible the fairy the arabian nights story which i could never tire of even when it began to be told over again End of chapter ninety three the real colonel sellers golden days read by john greenman